This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Let's get into some Marketing 101. Every marketer has some kind of base they market their products to. For example, if you're in the market for a tire, Goodyear is probably on your radar. At Adobe, the marketing team attempts to appeal to customers who want to tap into their inner creative side. But what happens when you don't have a defined customer base? What if your customer base is literally any business and every industry? You're dealing with every single industry out there You're getting to see customers that are going through some of the biggest challenges from going global. That drives activity and questions in the marketplace that we try and jump on and have better answers for. They're getting into new products and services, new markets, and need to rely on us for our expertise about how to handle customs in a new marketplace. Meet Chris O'Brien, the Chief Commercial Officer for C.H. Robinson. Through his 25-plus year career at C.H. Robinson, Chris has seen it all. From dealing with customers at both a regional and national level to working on supply chain management around the globe. On this episode of Marketing Trends, he details how and why the supply chain industry has seen increased visibility over the last few years, and he explains the importance of building a customer experience that puts your user at the forefront and the implications that doing so will have on your company culture. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Chris, how are you? Great, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Uh, Excited to talk about C.H. Robinson and the cool things that you all are doing there. Uh, not not as often that we have a chief commercial officer on. So excited to to chat about you know your role and and how that plays into marketing. So I guess first, how did you get started in in marketing? Yeah, thanks again for having me. Um, I've really been leading marketing officially here for about ten years, but my marketing story really goes back to more the beginning of my role here and. It's evolved a lot over a 28-year career at C.H. Robinson. And so tell me a little bit uh, for our listeners who don't know about C.H. Robinson. We are a global supply chain management company. What we invest in is great tech and great people. And we make the connections that get the goods and services that the world needs on the shelves. So we don't own the trucks, the planes, or the boats. But we started from a base in North America of uh, being an intermediary, adding value-added services of contracting. So we connect big shippers, small shippers, all the way. We have 115,000 customers and anything from a small business owner who is looking to get online onto our app and easily get access to the capacity that he might not have the scale with, all the way up into some of the biggest shippers in the world that might rely on us for their ocean, their air, and one continent or all the way to companies that rely on us for the tech to make all of their global supply chain work. So 15,000 people around the world uh, is how we differentiate ourselves. Uh, And about $16 billion uh, in sales. We're a Fortune 250 company headquartered uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we've been doing this for uh, one of the unique things about Robinson is we've been in this space for over 115 years. We started in 1905. And so... 
tell me uh, a little bit about your role uh, as CCO. Yeah, so I, I've been at Robinson most all of my career. I've had a lot of different roles and they've evolved uh, to chief commercial officer, which really was uh, something that we created uh, six years ago. So I, you know, I started pretty much right out of undergrad in what was a very broad role. You're given a portfolio of customers and the transportation providers that you need to make those connections with. And uh, you have accountability for that P&L. So from a very early point, marketing was really a part of my job. I was accountable for the messaging about the company to these customers. And one of the most important things that we do uh, with our employees still today is we give them a lot of latitude and autonomy to solve problems. So I pretty quickly found that I could add more value by getting out and talking to more customers, talking to new customers, current ones. And um, early on in my career, I would say some of my earliest marketing uh, insights came from a unique opportunity that I had to be on site at a customer. So I, I went on site uh, to Foodline, a major grocery retailer in North Carolina, as the representative for CH Robinson. And we were doing a sort of a conversion of uh, trying to get to help Foodline control their own freight. And I found myself you know, very quickly uh, being able to kind of learn another company's language. We've, we've been a very successful company. The company has always grown. Uh, I've always thought about, you know, my job here is balancing this great legacy of the, the growth of the company with driving change. And what I quickly learned by being at a customer is they just speak a different language. And the things about, you know, I recognize they don't care how big we are or how successful we are. It was really about how can we help them? What are the things that we can do to help them achieve their goals and, and drive their costs down? So, I felt lucky to have that sort of full immersion in their building with their teams, you know, learning a different way to talk about Robinson. And that sort of continued on with my career. As I progressed, I got to do that in a, you know, a few different parts of the world. I had, a, a, I had the ability to run a startup business for Robinson after that in a new sales office in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So starting with three people, introducing yourself to a brand new marketplace to me was you know, mostly about selling, but it was also about messaging the company and trying to figure out what was relevant. And those are lessons that I always took forward with me into the, the, my part of supporting our marketing team. So after that, I spent six and a half years in Europe. And again, talked about learning another language. It was how do our services translate over there? And again, I mentioned that our leadership got a lot of things right. And one of them was this bet that supply chains and the economy were going to keep globalizing. And that was our push to, to take the Robinson model and, and, and continue to expand it overseas. So if you add that all up, you know, chief commercial officer for us was about uh, taking, you know, my whole career of selling to new customers and dealing with our current customers. And we pulled them together in a, in a function. So Within the chief commercial officer role, uh, again, that's about six years old. We have five operating divisions and five functional chiefs. And my boss at the time saw the opportunity for my role to be the place that the whole company comes together as one to serve our customers. And so one of my key accountabilities is how we go to market, You know how, the, how the, our enterprise go-to-market strategy evolves. And I've always looked at that as making it clear and easy to buy from us. When we created chief commercial officer, we bought three functions together that were important to coordinate. And one was the global marketing team. And so I have a senior marketing leader who essentially is the CMO at Robinson. And my job is to support her 
and connector with the team. So the other two functions really help us bring a lot together. So marketing at Robinson is a couple of things that we support all of our divisions and think of that sort of as the products and services part of marketing. Uh, and those, div- those people work collaboratively with our divisions. It includes PR, external comms, customer experience, you know, the traditional things, brand, creative, uh, and our work with agencies and our MarTech. But chief commercial officer was the strategy that if we, if we combine marketing with two other key customer functions, we can get more done quickly on behalf of our customers. The two other parts of my job are sales operations, and enterprise customer strategy. So sales ops is really all the things that our sellers and the divisions rely on, our CRM, sales enablement, you know, our SDR team, which is sort of inside sales, more warming up leads, and the groups that really help our salespeople when they bring in big deals, RFP support, engineering assessments. And then I have a team that is enterprise actually directly selling to the biggest companies in the world, and managing some of those accounts that buy multiple services from us. So the purpose of bringing this under one team uh, and one leadership was to, in order to drive innovation, you know, if our marketing leader needs some live input on what's happening with the deal right now, she's got a peer who's dealing with 100 sales opportunities a month that are coming through our pipeline. And in the same, those three functions can learn from each other, can function more quickly. We think that it helps all of our divisions work quicker together. You know, we're three teams that connect them. We come together to solve problems at the customer level versus just a product or services level. And they really can learn from each other and rely on the fact that we we can bring marketing into our customer work. We can bring marketing into our sales work and vice versa. So creating this as one team for us was really about speed to market and better customer support. Yeah. It's a really fascinating um, approach because I think we see and we've interviewed a bunch of CMOs on the show that, you know, have inside sales that report to them or, uh, you know, do have a huge sales enablement function that is part of marketing kind of speaks to the broadening, you know, horizon specifically in B2B that is so integrated and connected with sales that it's uh, potentially living in the same org or part of it is living in the same org. So, you know, whether or not that's that's the actual CMO or you know, or someone like you, chief commercial officer, it's a it's a fascinating thing that I think kind of tracks with what we're seeing uh, from other CMOs as well. Yeah, it can really it really allows us to step into each other's functions right away. If our CMO wants to attend a sales call with uh, our final presentation to one of the biggest companies in the world, to compare that to what she is seeing with our more robust, you know. CX data, she can see it live and, and just jump in. It's it really it comes together in one place, and it just makes it easier for us to share uh, and drive innovation faster. So, I want to talk about your all's customers and, and and prospects and the folks that you sell to a little bit before we get into you know how you market to them. What does your kind of ideal customer profile look like? Uh, you mentioned you have small companies, you have big companies. Obviously, marketing uh, to those two groups is potentially extremely diff- different. Um, so what does that look like? Yeah, it, it really is. It, it's a marketing challenge in that really everyone out there, every business is ideally an addressable customer for us. Now, we're going to approach them differently. We're going to market to them differently. If you think about the small business owner, they don't have the leverage in the marketplace and they can come into Robinson and connect to our network of carriers. They want things simple. For us, that's really all about digital marketing, you know, the features and functions, 
uh, of our app and, and driving savings and giving you access to the investments that Robinson is making. On the, you know, on the other end would be the biggest companies in the world that were generally a part of their supply chain. And then maybe kind of a sweet spot in the middle would be medium-sized shipper who uh, doesn't want to invest in tech in people or they've invested in tech in the past for supply chain and haven't gotten enough leverage out of it. And they uh, more frequently rely on us for everything. And that's maybe more what we call our, but both we have two approaches to that. Our managed services division will sell them tech plus the people to run it. Or if they want all their execution to happen at CH Robinson, they can outsource that to us in a unique way. So really, it's not dependent on size. An ideal customer for, for Robinson is someone who's growing or is experiencing change. You know, we, we look for uh, different push points, like they're making multiple acquisitions. They want to pull all the data together from a supply chain standpoint in one place. I mentioned it's it's all B two B. We typically are selling to transportation executives, supply chain, or procurement leadership in supply chain or transportation. So there's really nobody that's not addressable customer that makes the the marketing job at Robinson challenging, but a lot of fun. You know, you're dealing with every single industry out there. You're getting to see customers that are going through some of the biggest challenges from going global. Uh, that drives you know activity and questions in the marketplace that we try and jump on and have better answers for. Uh, they're getting into new products and services, new markets, and uh, need to rely on us for our expertise about how to handle customs in a new marketplace. Or so that's where we really excel. And I would say probably the biggest sweet spot for us is somebody who is wants to do more with less. They want to have one relationship versus a different. And we, the industry is called third-party logistics or 3PL. They're looking to not have two in Europe, one in North America and another one on the ocean. But where we can really leverage our strength is this global suite of services that we have around the world. And to the extent that a customer wants to buy those in one place and pull them together, and we can show them that from a technology standpoint and how they can save money across those, that's probably the most ideal customer and they, but it really does span all size segments and really most every industry vertical. Yeah. So, you know, when you're aligning that type of, uh, of messaging, um, what are some of the activities that, that you're doing? How do you align, uh, you know, the folks in, in your marketing department to tackle those problems? Yeah. Our marketing team is really divided in two ways. You know, we have, I mentioned our divisional support. So, so those are the people that are really embedded within our products and services and learn what's happening right now across those industries, what's happening right now across that division in different parts of the world. And they're together making plans and really the line between what's in our division and what's in marketing gets blurry on purpose. And they, they collaborate with those division leaders to come up with smart, broad marketing plans and they rely on our more centralized, you know, centers of excellence for the best in, okay, if that, can, if that approach needs to be primarily digital, well, they've got a digital team of digital experts to work on to come up with the digital part of it. They've got a creative team. They've got the team that engages with the agencies that we work with where we want to, where it's better for us to get support externally. So that's the main way we've decided that it's most efficient for us to approach our business. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, were you were you doing things pre-pandemic, uh, you know, all of the like events and things like that and the in-person activations that kind of all had to had to come to a halt? 
not just uh, events and marketing, but really the whole company. I mean, one of the things I'm really proud of our company for is just how we changed on a dime. We, we'd invested in our technology infrastructure for years. We never knew we would have to test it like this, but we took 15,000 people and went remote uh, over a 48 hour period. Events, yeah, those were out the window. And really a year later, when we think about planning the ones for March, we're just now starting to see some that say they're going to be back to live, but we had to, you know, not just adjust how we work, but how we engage. I mentioned, we've got the sales ops team. They do implementations for these really detailed integrated relationships that we have where we're connecting systems to systems. All that work was on site, doing assessments, you know, interviewing different buying departments. We can figure out, you know, exactly where we need to integrate and how that all really smoothly transitioned to this remote workplace and in ways that I think will be permanent for us. And then, you know, the, the job of marketing just got way more important in that we needed to pretty immediately change messaging. Um, because depending on the industry you're in, you're facing some really big challenges. So I can talk about some of the services that we changed and how we really got into the, the PPE business. But from a marketing standpoint, we had to pretty immediately pivot our, our messaging to things that were resonating. And and you have and we had to be really nimble. We immediately started talking about and digitally messaging, doing more with less. You know, most companies were you know impacted somewhat negatively in in March and April, and some were exploding. On the other hand, but. For the most part, we were dealing with customers that were dealing with uncertainty. And so we changed our messaging to doing more with less, dealing with uncertainty, you know, trying to find savings in your supply chain. And you know, as we adjusted ourselves, our messaging really had to change to what was going to draw interest in the marketplace if we were going to do anything to make this as much as we could somewhat of an advantage for the company from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, totally. I mean, it seems like obviously supply chains have have uh, have been disrupted over the years with technology, but there's this, you know, now at this current moment in time, there's this massive, you know, digital transformation or whatever you want to call it, push. And those things, I think a lot of companies kind of knew over the years, but now have to action from a marketing perspective. How do you, you know, if you're talking to those, those uh, senior leaders in transportation, what, what are they looking for in terms of marketing? Uh, it seems like, you know, they might, they might know that they need, you know, solutions to this stuff now that they actually could invest in. So how do you kind of take advantage of, uh, of the moment where the need actually meets the, the ability to spend the money? When the pandemic started, a lot changed right off the bat. We had certain industries that just needed, they needed more capacity. They were in the consumer goods business and they had a product, you know, and you think about toilet paper or some of the other consumables, uh, sanitary devices, and that industry was exploding. On the other hand, we had, we have a large presence in the food business and food was still getting consumed, but it was this really immediate shift between going through food distribution, which generally leads to restaurant and the retail space. So our, our retail customers were also just trying to manage capacity and figure out how to get more through. So the supply chain and the distribution channel itself shifted so amazingly uh, within the food industry in particular, that those two, on one hand, you have the retailer who's just trying to figure out how they can get more throughput. And then the food services industry is trying to figure out what else they can do differently. 
if you were selling product that really only went to the restaurant space, you were trying to figure out how to repackage, how to rebrand, uh, and how to get into a whole new distribution channel of retail. And in those industries, you know, by and large, adjusted really, really quickly. Our customers really depends on the industry that you were in. But the long-term thing that we've seen is the demand uh, that they've had for needing services. I, I would say that the biggest thing that changed for our industry with the pandemic is actually that supply chain management became more visible. It became more important. The people that we sell to, those heads of supply chain leadership, procurement leadership, they were getting more questions than ever from their boards or their CEOs about, hey, they've seen some stressed supply chains out there. Uh, how is ours doing? And so we had customers that came to us for uh, one in the healthcare industry for backup supply chain business. They just wanted additional resiliency based on the uncertainty uh, that they saw in that immediate change. They were starting to see it pre-COVID. Uh, so almost a whole new service that we could provide was standby, being ready in case if there was failure of, of transportation providers based on you know all the changes that were happening. So that was, a, I would say, a whole new area of demand for us. But tech has certainly changed our our industry over the years. But this this in particular, when you think about the pandemic, just drove a whole new need for change, and it really allowed us to use our international supply chain expertise, uh, particularly to help with PPE. We got uh, very much involved in helping companies, even states get uh, PPE. Our people jumped and volunteered at different opportunities to use their knowledge and strengthen the changing regulations for export and import and, and vetting out different suppliers. You know, we, we set up a, um, a task force uh, with the Minnesota Business Partnership here where we put our experts uh, all over the world on a team of other Minnesota companies and help the state save a million dollars uh, in terms of procuring better. But I think the bigger thing that we did and, and our people around the world with this is by impacting the greater supply chain of hospital beds, medicine, and food. I think we literally, our people are the most proud of using their skills to really save lives and, and by getting supply in all different ways to market quicker and more efficiently. The, the lasting change that I think will come out of this is that the business of supply chain management is more visible, more relevant. And a lot of that is based on the fact that global trade supply chains have become more and more global for years. And so they are more relied upon and critical. And you saw that come into play uh, when we started dealing with shortages. It instantly, how's my supply chain working became a question that was elevated at our customers. And that for us was a good thing and is a good thing for companies with answers and a global suite of services. And so how did your, your marketing team you know, like get feedback from, uh, from your customers, get feedback from people in, in order to inform those campaigns. Uh, cause it seems like it's a tough place to be where, you know, the world is kind of in this flux and you need to, you know, that people out there need, they need your services. You, you know, that you, you want to be their right place, right time, but you don't want to, you know, have, uh, uh, one of the, just like a deaf ear to all of the kind of things that are going on. Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I think that part of it is this more long-term, robust CX program and our customer listening that, that we do. In times like that, that's where I think a program like that gets a little bit stressed and you really have to 
jump in and understand, all right, what is changing faster than anything we could almost systematically listen to is happening. So in those cases, the fact that our teams are embedded with our divisions, the fact that they can jump on sales calls, uh, the fact that they've got peers and teammates within our shared service that are dealing today with those challenges, we get to learn together really, really quickly. And this hit us and the industry so hard, so quickly that you almost couldn't miss it. And then we just start, you know, using the tools that we've always had. Let's 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 ask these large customers, these large retailers, you know, what are the challenges that you're seeking? The types of questions that we're getting change so quickly. Again, that that becomes better information for our marketing team. And then we, you know, we really started adjusting how we market and not just the messaging, but our own events. You, you mentioned canceled events. You know, we run supply chain uh, summits where we bring a handful of customers and talk to them about what's changed in customs regulations in the last years. In more of our part of our you know customs consulting business, those are always live events. Um, our approach was let's treat this pandemic as parts of it from a business structure, expense, strategy standpoint as permanent as possible. Let's act as if these things will continue on. Now, nobody ex- you know, expected, that, and we still don't, that the pandemic's going to continue, but we've learned some things. Like I mentioned, we're doing our implementations remotely now. We immediately, the marketing team pivoted and invested in better webinar technology. How we, you know, how we show up got way more important. We invested in video technology, both live and asynchronous. Our, our pre-sales team, you know, was experimenting with new asynchronous video tech. We started taking these programs that used to be live and making them webinars. And what we found is that we're actually getting those same customers and more, and we can more easily follow up with them. We can get more people to show up live. Uh, and and we, we jumped into really, again, how we show up. Our 15,000 employees, about 4,000 of them are customer facing that used to be having live meetings with customers or traveling for sales calls. They're now on video for the first time ever. So you think about 10, 15 year people that have done everything one way. We immediately sort of called a timeout and said, let's train these people. You know, you can, you can walk, we're jumping on the calls and seeing that this is all new. The whole world's adjusting to it at the same time we decided that we wanted to invest in you know, a lot of now live video training. What's the, it's, it's, it's a different way to engage a customer, right? It is, it can be more challenging. Uh, how do you get the customer to show up? How are we going to present and, and how do you keep it interesting, you know, on video that, you know, we, again, that that's an area that the whole marketing team really just kind of pivoted and said, let's support this business in this new remote environment because there will be things that we learn from this that are going to continue regardless of you know, when the pandemic hopefully eventually clears out. We will we'll, we'll, we'll still take some things with us uh, that we've learned that have been advantages for us, both from an efficiency, employee support, and, and customer service standpoint. Um, I think that is the, you know, the interesting part of this. We went from reacting to thinking, hey, if we start to treat this as more of a permanent situation, then we will invest that way. And that's going to be good for us in the short term and the long term. Do you have any favorite campaigns? And it doesn't have to be necessarily from this year, but uh, over the past few years uh, that you particularly enjoyed? Yeah, I I mentioned uh, the one where it, our COVID campaign uh, that we call it was really about saving money. And we immediately started changing that messaging, do more with less, find resiliency in your supply chain, find savings. Those are things that we always did and always could do. 
but just those messages became much more relevant in that marketplace. And we supported it, not just with messaging, but our, so we bought, I told you, we bought, you know, new uh, tech platform for webinar. We made the first one very COVID specific. And, and I think it was my favorite because our people got to give back. They were able to take their pride in the company and the things that they know about, whether it was how to get PPE approved and imported, um, how to handle the rapidly changing customs environment, or actually how you can engineer your supply chain in a better way. And I just saw our people have so much fun with that one. And obviously it was on point and on message and it was successful. You know, it's, it's, it's one of our more recent ones, but it was one where I just saw the strength of C.H. Robinson and the great people who, who care. They were proud that their, that their industry uh, became more relevant and that, that what they could do became more in demand from their customers. And that, I think that's why it was my favorite. But I like them all. I like getting in early. Uh, I like experimenting with the early messaging. And I, I you know, encourage our team to think differently and, and and try everything early and throw crazy stuff off the wall. But that, that one jumps out at me the most just because it felt so good to give back and that, you know, and that it worked. How about some, uh, some campaigns over the years that were maybe your biggest learning experiences? <laughs> oh, uh, my team teases me a little bit about um, early on uh, some of the ideas uh, that I would encourage them to get crazy on. And um, this one didn't really go anywhere, um, but it's, it's maybe more in my hall of uh, hall of shame, if you will. But um, I, when we first saw that, I mentioned the sweet spot we have of maybe more of the medium sized shipper who wants to rely on us for everything. We've always tried to figure out a lot of our marketing work has been, okay, what do you call that? Outsourcing never really fit. It's more partnership and collaborative. But once we started up that as a distinct practice at Robinson, I saw that this is an opportunity to brand this. And uh, one of the, I, I got voted down on one of the early campaign ideas for that, which was a, the image of uh, a bathroom stall and toilet paper on the wall. And the campaign was feeling pressure to reduce your supply chain costs. And it made me laugh. And the team pretty much voted me down saying, no, you know, we just put this one in there as a joke, but I, but. I don't think you want to remind people of being in the bathroom. So, <laughs> so that one, I didn't have to learn from it because it didn't go very far. But I do like the ones where we can be a bit irreverent and get people's attention, try to think of other ones that we really you know, got to market and learn from. I, I think um, the biggest thing that we've learned from is, you know, I, I mentioned the size of the company and, uh, because we are B2B, and, but we do sell to this you know, distinct part of the business, the supply chain professional, the Robinson brand. It, we don't have a consumer brand. A consumer really isn't using our services very much. It's, it's getting there on that, that small business side. We're getting close to consumer, but we used to do a lot of brand marketing and to, into the trade journals that knew us the most. And the messages were really pretty general. And that's an area that, you know, I, like I said, um, we've invested in a lot of areas in marketing. We brought in a, a great marketing leader. We've invested in new PR leadership. We've brought in much more digital because the world is, has changed so much. And again, we've got this self-service business that's almost exclusively marketed digitally. That leadership helped us challenge that general brand awareness campaigns that we had in the trade journals that we were already recognized as a leader uh, as pretty ineffective. And the other thing that we noticed is that we, we didn't really have a great way to measure 
the impact of that work. And, and that's just an area where I think we've gotten a lot smarter. And we think that today, brand is going to be more important. Going forward, it's going to be more important. And part of that is because supply chain and these global supply chains that are longer, therefore, you know, more critically dependent on is more of a board level opportunity for us. So again, we, we might not be sponsoring NASCAR next, we, you know, but the brand itself to the business community at higher levels is more important. And, and that is a clear area of investment for us going forward. So that's probably the biggest learning is it wasn't, we were, we were marketing to the areas where we're already the most known. Yeah, it, that's a great insight. I mean, I think that that's, you know, part of the piece of, uh, of focus for, for a given year, right? It's like, if your if your priority for a year is, is upsell, for example, that might be okay. If it's, you know, you want to tell people of new products that you have or something like that. If you're, if your goal is, is, you know, new logos or something like that, then that's definitely not going to be the right way to go. And I think that just looking at those things, it's a, it's a good it's a good practice, especially you know end of year, or beginning of year, to look back at those things and say like, hey, you know, has our priority changed? Has our focus changed? What do we want to be known for? And where are the people uh, you know who know us the best? Uh, where do they see us the most? Yeah, it, you. It, it's a really good point. And there is a it is a challenge to figure out how you want to split up the investment. And I think, you know, what we had been debating at that point was how much do we need to be a, a household brand? And what we really did was say, let's just start measuring the messages that really matter. And let's figure out the difference between the things that customers would really say is important and those points that really make them choose a company like us. How do they choose their third-party logistics company, their supply chain management groups? And what gets them to actually select yes and hit go. And it's an area that we just put a lot of money and investment into in terms of a better process, better listening. We have a very robust CX program today that helps us, but, but it started with a lot of smart research with our customers on and how we go to market and, and what's really important to them about our services. What are some of the fundamental metrics that you use to gauge the customer experience? Because I know that, you know, as chief commercial officer, you're thinking about CX broadly. It's not just marketing. It's how it fits into your entire, you know, customer experience. So are, are there things that you are tracking and looking at? Yeah, for sure. We, you know, we, we do have a robust customer experience program. For us, it's a part of a broader approach. You know, we although we have this great customer listing program, we first want to make sure that we have a customer reacting program or a customer reacting culture. And I think that being a, a successful services company, we've always been customer focused and it's, it's a part of our nature and our history to be very customer focused. And I mentioned, you know, in my career, it was about, you know, I like that we empowered people and we still do. We make sure our customer facing people really aren't awaiting anyone's approval or any program uh, to solve a problem for them. That's not someone else's job in CX for us. So that's the foundation of it. And I think that, you know, for us, getting that culture right helps things like our CX program take the next steps. And for us, there were really two important parts besides that culture that are helping us. And they're both areas that we've invested in and, and gotten smarter about. The, the first is really a customer research. So when we measure things, we want to first start with the big questions, like 
why do you buy? What is really important to us? And so that's where you know, we built some strong relationships with some agencies that know us well. Our own team has gotten really better and smarter about primary research and structuring the research so that when we see it in the end, we've gotten really good at these questions. And so that on the other end, we know it's going to be valuable. We know how we want to cut it. We, we anticipate the questions that three years ago used to confuse us, we'd work that in. And then, you know, to get back to your question, um, we've gotten better with our very active, always on CX program. And for us, that's win-loss information. So we capture everything uh, about win-loss information. Again, one of the advantages of chief commercial officer and the team that, you know, marketing has a peer within sales. Uh, they connect on that information to, sh to share that and it becomes competitive intel and it drives change. But we manage you know, thousands of surveys after shipments. We ask about as much as we think we can get away with uh, transactionally. And then we have a, a, uh, an in-depth relationship survey work. And so it, the core measurement for us is NPS. And uh, we are always looking at what we can do to drive that. But we use that, you know, besides NPS, you know, all the question information in there, you know, what happened to our score on technology? Uh, how are our carriers rating our app? How are our customers rating uh, the technology that they, that they face every day? And we think the most important thing in that uh, is, yes, watching the measurement, but using it to drive change. And we've, that's what we've really done. It, we've changed call routings and, and where you know, phone calls go into, how we back up services, uh, what new services we need to drive because we're very aggressively closing those gaps. But, but again, even CX for us, we didn't make it a different program. We have a very lean team within marketing and a platform that really puts the power of closing the loop in the hands of our divisions and the customer facing employees. But ultimately we try and look at what's the most, we try and tie those two things together. What do customers say is the most important and will be the most important and how are we scoring in those areas? MPS kind of wraps it up for us. Okay, let's get into our lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Lightning round questions. Chris, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, do you have a favorite book or podcast or something that you've been uh, binging during the uh, past year? Uh, the podcast that I've been binging the most is smartless that uh, I like uh, to unplug and and laugh offline. I was just listening to all the way back uh, with my wife in the car yesterday, and that's uh, uh, fun with Jason Bateman, uh, Will Arnett, and it's Sean Beige. But it is um, comedy, and they bring on a new guest, a surprise guest uh, once uh, that one person knows about, and uh, those three just crack me up, and they usually have fun and interesting guests on. The other one that I've been listening to the longest is probably how I built this uh, on NPR with Guy Raz. And I think it's fascinating to hear sort of the origin story of other businesses and how frequently you learn that what they were seeking to set out to figure out turned out to be something very different. And I try and apply that to every day, be, be looking for what the accidental things that we could be running into versus just continuing to hammer down the, the path that we, that we know the best. So those are my two probably biggest podcasts today. What about a hobby that you picked up in uh, shelter in place? I have gotten a lot better at um, 
my online Euchre game. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I, I grew up in Michigan. It's very much a Midwest game. And I found an app that rates you so you can drive your score up. And I would say I wake up to at least one every day and go to bed with one game every day of uh, Euchre. You're playing live people uh, across the country or at least across the Midwest, as far as I can tell by the nicknames. And I would say um, in the pandemic, uh, it's my, my game's got my, my rating has gone up. So I've gotten a little bit addicted to that game. My godmother loves some euchre. Shout out to uh, shout out to my godmother. Yeah, I've if you never find out a euchre name, I'll see if she's on there. <laughs> she might be. That's true. <laughs> um, if you weren't uh, a chief commercial officer, if you if you weren't in supply chain at all, if you weren't doing any marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? My biggest hobby it goes back. I, I went to a liberal arts school, Alma College, um, and uh, one of the things that I think I took from that was you had to take a lot of you know general studies and 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 art. And um, one of my hobbies today is American art, architecture, and design. And when you get really narrow, it's American public art, architecture, and parks. I, I, I like what we you know, did, especially in the WPA for, for cities and for all people in, in parks. Um, I would try to find some type of career uh, contributing. I, it's not a creative ability that I have, but it's an appreciation. So I'm not sure how you turn that into much of a career, but I would be spending probably uh, more time with that hobby and, and trying to turn it in some way into a, a career. Is there a question you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Uh, yes. If you had to go professional in what sport, what would it be? What would it be? <laughs> so first of all, I couldn't, uh, but, uh, my uh, oldest and, and maybe most competitive sport is a, is kind of a, a unique and quirky one. It's uh, platform tennis or paddle tennis. Uh, I try and play as much as I can. Uh, you are on a shrunken down tennis court. Uh, so my mediocre foot speed doesn't hold me back too much. Uh, it is so much fun. It's doubles. I love team games. It's full contact in that um, uh, it is fast and uh, reactionary. And, and I usually think the the team that won is the team that could turn their brain off a little bit and focus and react to that big, heavy sponge ball coming right at your head. So there's no there's no professional game as far as I know. I couldn't make it if it did. But if forced to, uh, especially at uh, the age of 52, I would I would have to go with that being the one that I got the biggest head start in. Well, there you go. I love it. That's awesome. Chris, thanks so much for, uh, for joining the show. This has been, this has been great. Uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug? No, you know, I really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for thinking of us and CH Robinson. Uh, our, our people will enjoy this and, uh, you've got a great podcast as well. I've been listening to that and, uh, thanks for all you do for the marketing profession. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.